This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. And Curly kind of looks at me, he asks me if I can beat these decks, and I, I look him in the eye and I, I essentially tell him, my deck can't beat these decks, but my heart can beat these decks. <laughs> Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mise they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And you're like, fuck. How does that go? Bang! Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, want to, I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic today. I'm like, I just like, I died. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play Magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck. And then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. Like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. Hello, and welcome to A-Team episode 287. We don't have a name yet. This is Scumbag Schofield coming at you. I've got trusty Matt Mendoza. What's up, everybody? Uh, We've also got KYT with us today. Yeah, KYT's not going to do too much talking today. Whoa! Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jay's not with us because he's still doing that night shift thing. Uh, one day he will come back. It will be glorious. Uh, he will probably tell us a shit story and complain about something. But until then, you'll just have to listen to other people complain. Uh, speaking of people who will complain, uh, we've got some <laughs> guests. So. To take Jeremy to task. To take. Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. I think this is going to be a Western Canadian dozer beat-up. I I think that that's how this is going to play out, but it could go the other way, uh, especially with uh, our first guest. We actually have both on at the same time, but our first guest is going to be Mr. Brian Sue, Mr. Bo Sue, as he's known uh, uh, amongst our community. And uh, I don't know, after uh, after Costa Rica, it might be known uh, throughout the pro community well, uh, a little infamous. Uh, Winner of our most recent WMCQ, how are you, Bo Sue? Uh, excellent. Welcome. Uh, I'm feeling really welcome to be on this podcast. <laughs> you are going to dirt me the whole night, so I got to start yeah. off with a few shots, and then I feel like I'm going to be yeah, taking a yeah. bunch. So uh, that that's the power of being the guy who gets to announce people is that he gets the first shot. <laughs> uh, also with us, a uh, friend of the show, constant contributor, Mr. Doug Potter. How are you, Doug? I mean, I would not call myself a friend, but I'm doing good. Oh, right. You would not call yourself a friend? Jeez. I'm more like the the unrequited love. The- of the show. <laughs> mistress of the show. Yeah. The, I don't know about mistress, but uh, let's let's go with it. I can be I can be Dozer's mistress. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. No, I, I'm doing good. I'm I'm happy to be back. 
Fantastic. So, yeah, we have two big winners. Uh, like I was mentioning on the episodes leading up to this, as my daughter tries to pound her way through the door into my little recording office here, uh, that we had a big magic weekend. So we had our WMCQ uh, event on the Saturday, and then we had a face-to-face 5K uh, and these are our two champions of these events. So uh, let's start off with WMCQ. Bosu, what were you doing? Uh, I was, you know, I was basically playing Legacy. I was playing a lot of uh, lands, and that's pretty much all you need to win in Legacy and Modern. Just okay. take them down. <laughs> 20 to 0, no problem. <laughs> so do you count in multiples of 3, or how does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not really sure... Uh, Mostly, I just cast some spells. Uh, I look at my opponent. I've got a ton of land in play, and then they just look really sad, and they shake my hand, and they walk away. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, I was scapeshifting people, just like I was in Red Deer, and uh, it turned out pretty good. It turned out pretty well. Pretty happy with it. So what's your preferred version of the deck? Uh, so how, how strategic do you guys want to get on this? Because I could talk about scapeshift for a long time. You just want the bare bones. Well, let's let's go with like the ten minute version. Sure. The ten minute version. All right. So like I, I'll be back. I'll be back in two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I'm just gonna get real metaphysical about scapeshift. Um, I played the version of scapeshift that is not bring to light. It's just the straight red, blue, green version. Okay. Uh, except the change that my friend Attila Fur implemented, which I think more people should be on, is that we play four Prismatic Omens and a full four Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, uh, which means our turn, our six land kill is way more consistent than everybody else's, okay. and we're faster than Bring to Light. We, for people that don't know how the combo works, Valakut deals three damage to any target as long as you have uh, six or more mountains. Every time a mountain comes into play, it'll check how many mountains are in play. If there's six or more, you get to deal three damage. With Prismatic Omen, it turns all your land into every land. So when you cast Scapeshift with six land in play and a Prismatic Omen in play, you can fetch four Valakits and two two of any other land. They all trigger each other, so you do six times. So you get four triggers, three damage each, times six. So it's 72 damage total, I think, in increments of three. So, That's a lot. And That's more it is a lot of damage. For those yes. two listeners. Doug, you yeah. played a similar version, right? At the PT? I was about to say, yeah, mine uh, Mine played the Thawnaut series. Oh, the PT. Um, yeah, the PT. <laughs> no, I played. Uh, I actually played red-green scapeshift. No, no, no. I mean, you guys both played blue, scapeshift. And I only had one Prismatic Omen. Okay. And that was added by Attila Fur, aka yeah. Scapeshift Master uh, of yeah. Alberta that Bosu mentioned. So I did have an omen, but I only played the one, whereas Bo having uh, all four is like insane. Okay, yeah. so my question is you mentioned in, your, in the last episode that we had you on to talk about Scapeshift that you preferred the red green version because of the, the, you get to play more mountains. Now, Brian, do you find that playing the more uh, the, playing three more prismatic omens than one is uh, worth it when I mean does that make up for the lack of mountains? Not oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. The other big innovation, also kind of courtesy of Attila, who really should be here on this podcast in place of me, if I'm going to keep plugging him like this, is that uh, he he switched our uh, accelerant base to Explorers, and with the Explorers and Serum Visions, it lets you churn through your deck more quickly, which means that your Prismatic Omens will often just be naturally turned on by having you draw six land plus a Valakut plus prismatic omen which is very threatening so you just naturally start bolting things with every land you play and that's only possible because of the four omens and it, and like you said it does make up for the lack of general mountains were, were you playing uh cryptic command i was I yeah was. so like that also really helps fix that kind of thing because I, I remember watching you play a few games and there would just be spots where you were able to drop a prismatic omen on turn three and then turn your third land that would be something like maybe a basic force, turn it into a serum vision to keep going through your deck and keep that that acceleration going on, that uh, uh, the velocity of uh, mm-hmm. being able to dig through your deck. And, and just like little spots like that, it looked really strong. You had the ability to cryptic command off of any untapped lands, which sometimes getting triple blue is a real pain in the butt. So uh, it, it seemed like it really empowered you to do a lot more. And in the finals, like in that top eight, it really kind of gave you the ability to get through all of the unfair things that were happening around you, I would say. Yeah, for sure. It, it lets you pressure also, like if you just resolve an early omen, it lets you pressure against a lot of decks while keeping all your mana up because you're just playing land in that situation. You're keeping, because you have to keep up cryptic all the time. It's a yeah. it's a big expenditure on your mana. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you can keep playing land and bolting people, and, you know, if you get lucky and you get the double Valakut draw, suddenly they're on a three-turn clock doing six a turn for zero mana, essentially. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, even the thought of just not having to resolve Scapeshift, just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just play land and be annoying. Yeah. Uh, my favorite moment is when I have an omen out and I'll cast a cryptic or I'll cast a reman and I won't have any actual technical blue sources up. I'll just have a Valakit and maybe a forest and a stomping ground. And there's always a tiny pause for my opponent when they see me cast it and then they just kind of mentally remember like, oh, yeah, he does have blue <laughs> mana. I guess he's he's just a tiny bit of a gotcha, you know? Yeah. That's got to be a feel-good moment. Do you ever it bluff does. not having blue? Does that ever work? I, I've done it a few times, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think different tournament, I, I mulliganed down to four or five in the... I think it was the finals or the semifinals against Affinity. I led with uh, Island Forest Prismatic Omen, and the guy just completely overcommitted into the board. I untapped, played... Uh, flooded grove and anger to anger of the gods his entire <laughs> board away and he just kind of face palm because he forgot that i had double red with my omen possibly so good times i think doug has because doug played the red green version over at the pro tour did you did you have any crazy moments with prismatic omen like did you bluff blue or black mana randomly doug? yeah I, I well not quite that but i had a situation similarly against affinity where I had a prismatic omen out, and I purposefully tapped all my green mana, and I had uh, an ancient grudge in my graveyard, and I like looked over at my graveyard, and then just like sank in my chair and shook my head with my eyes closed, like, oh my god, I did not leave a green mana. <laughs> and I sighed, and I said go, and he all excitedly played cranial plating and equipped it and attacked, 
looked and I flashed it back and he's like, you don't have green. I'm like, I have prismatic omen. And he's like staring <laughs> at his hand and it turned out he had a stubborn denial. So he just didn't need to kind of go all in like he did. That's uh, awesome. He would have been able to counter it. So Yeah, playing playing prismatic omen is all about being a heel, apparently. Just, just really <laughs> getting people. <laughs> I mean, playing magic like Bosu and I, I think it's all about he, being a heel. Yeah, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. <laughs> We we go on road trips and we talk about some crazy stuff and I swear like we're on just this, this level of just trying to dirt people both of us. Yeah, yeah. Bosu's also the guy that I mentioned uh, at the tournament who comes up to the judges as a, a judge himself and says, "Okay, so if I want to cheat and have you guys try and guess what it is, is that like?" I'll concede if I win a game or something like that, or if I if I pull the cheat off. But I just want to try and do it to see if I can catch you guys on it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember which tournament that was, Goldfield. But I, I, that was that was uh, that was uh, the uh, regional or the provincials. Oh, the SCG thing. Yes, the SCG yeah. thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I can't remember the exact premise, but I think because I spend a lot of my time. Um, suppressing my natural instinct to just cheat as much as possible by thinking of weird cheats and then telling the judge community locally so that I won't be able to do them. It's like kind of a weird <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous sponsorship thing where you have somebody else, you know, prevent you from, from doing these terrible things to the community or to yourself. Like, um, I'm by, yeah, like I that. can hide a bottle of liquor in the door of my car. So yeah. I'll check the door of your car, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I like, exactly. I like how you exactly. say this, but yet you admitted to putting explorers in your deck, so... <laughs> I don't know. That was actually one of the best parts was the... Uh, the quarterfinals against Curly, and you resolve Explorer, and you look at him, two Explorers, buddy, two Explorers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I gotta pay homage to some of the legends in the cheating community, right? That's hilarious. So, looking at modern, we haven't had, like, we haven't had major modern events lately. What did, uh, what does modern look like to you guys? What were you preparing for uh, what did you expect, and did anything surprise you? I think Doug is better suited to answer this. He, he put a lot of time and effort into preparing for the event. So, Doug, what's what's your take on modern here? For those of you not playing along at home, Brian's trolling me. I don't uh, <laughs> I don't prepare for events like he does, and he knows it. <laughs> It's just, you know, some of us are a little bit jealous of your ability to <laughs> wake up in the morning, pick up a deck, XO the Swiss, win the top eight, and all the while being, I don't know, close to vomiting or something? Yeah, you, all I remember is Doug being like, I'm really sick, but I'm undefeated. Well, we can get to that later, but um, yeah. I will say this. The the fine people at Fasafas put out uh, a Red Deer report that basically said what the metagame was and i just kind of looked at that okay as to what i expected to play um i didn't do anything with that information and i didn't pick a deck based on it because i had bad matchups with two of the top three decks but i at least knew it existed <laughs> <laughs> okay uh but there's a alberta has a lot of juns and alberta also has uh infect like a lot of infect so those are kind of some of the things that we have to prepare for here in Alberta. 
I don't know if every metagame is the same. Are we going through a tunnel? Oh, sorry. That's yep. the uh, there's some thunder happening here. Sorry about that. I'll just. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got, we've had like crazy storm weather for the last like three weeks now. I guess it would be. Uh, I think it's almost on top of me right now, so it's it's gonna. It, hopefully, it doesn't come through too much. My apologies. Uh, that's okay. uh, yeah, kind of to build on what Doug was saying in terms of the modern metagame, there's a lot of Jund, a lot of Infect, like he said. The surprising thing to us was we had a big contingent of players come down from Grand Prairie for the WMCQ, and a bunch of them stayed over uh, overnight to play the Sunday face-to-face open, and they brought a ton of combo decks. Yeah, the Grand Prairie modern community is like unfair deck uh, inbred metagame, so everybody plays just unfair decks. All it is is eggs and ad nauseum and that kind of stuff. Like it's. I think I saw a bunch of Storm as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a bunch of them playing Storm. Uh, the ones who weren't playing Combo were like the first-time Affinity users and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was, it's definitely it was an interesting metagame for sure. Uh, Red Deer, I would say, was way heavier on Infect and yeah. uh, less Jund and Junk. And then I think people reacted maybe a little bit, or they they kind of knew what the meta was like. The WMCQ itself had a lot more. Infect and uh, had a lot more Jund and Junk to combat the Infect. Well, wasn't Jund the most played deck in Red Deer? Was it? I, I didn't yeah. see it performing at the top table. No, no, it was losing no. early. No, I think it was the highest percentage of the metagame. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You're too busy winning. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's kind of a Red Deer thing, though. You host an event in Red Deer, you're going to see a lot of Jund. Because mm-hmm. they're just super Jund players in Red Deer. Is your community like that, Mendoza? Is there a lot of Jund and Infect? Or? Uh, man, I haven't, I haven't done a whole lot of local metagame analysis to really figure it out. I, I tried not to have that information really affect me much because I, it's one of those, like, the more I know, the more dangerous it is for me. Cause I could just be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exactly. I try to just test against a bunch of stuff and then just go in just generally prepared. So, I, I mean, mean like, I, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I would probably make one or two card adjustments based on, like, an article, like, that would come out about like, the Red Deer metagame, for example. That breakdown is really helpful, and I would make changes based on that, but other than that, without having that sort of in-depth look into the metagame, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I generally find that people tend to play the Tarmogoyfs and Lilianas that they own and Snapcaster Mages that they own. So those are the kind of decks I expect more of at most of the paper modern events. And then online, it's more of... It's, it's more varied. Would you say that, you know, you? I think you're right in that people play what they own, especially given the price of modern yeah. and the in your deck choice in modern is more challenging. Yeah. But like if you consider the baseline of what people tend to gravitate to initially when they're looking at modern and, and they know, you know, I'm going to invest in one deck primarily, I do think Jund is one of those decks where it's fairly straightforward. It's it looks powerful and it's generally always been a solid choice for the metagame, yeah. almost always. Yeah, so it's, it's like, like a 
nice safe choice to invest in. Yeah, it's a king of the mid-range. It's something that you can always play. It's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. It survived through its little power level banning, so I think that also kept a, a big piece of it alive is the fact that when Blood Raid Elf left and Dark, uh, and uh, oh my god, what is that stupid guy, and Death Raid Shaman left, that the deck was still a deck. Yeah. yeah, and I just, I kind of, when I make those decisions, I tend to look at the decks that I almost always play at every modern deck, modern event, and there tend to be four or five of those where I always play a Fish player, I always play an Elves player, I always play Jund or Abzan, I always play Storm, and I always play against Infect. And all the other mm-hmm. stuff, it's varied, but usually those are the decks that I somehow always find myself up against. And what do you usually play? What do I play? Mm-hmm. Um, I switch between Affinity and Red-Green Ponza. Mostly Ponza, though. So you're a griefer, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Especially... Uh, <laughs> oh, I couldn't. Uh... Is my internet breaking up? Uh, it was a little rough there for a second. Okay. Yeah. I dropped a bomb on you. I'm sorry. That's uh, okay. <laughs> At least repeat it so that I can respect it. Oh, okay. You said that, Brian. You said so. You're a griefer, and I said especially in code names. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, and Conan's are just confused. <laughs> I'm just confused. Oh, I still love that. It's like, well, I've been picking for the wrong team. Can we just switch? No, we can't switch. <laughs> Jeez. Yep, yep. Oh, my. So, codenames is the great equalizer, man. We should have a podcast about codenames sometime. And that, that would be good. That would be really good. Yeah. Telling all the codenames beat stories. Um. Let's just go. I want to. I want to tell like the Andre cheat, but super sick like plant. Oh man, uh, that wasn't even is... a good story. I don't even know if Bosu was there for that one this weekend. Yeah, he was there. <laughs> you were there for that one, weren't you, Bosu? Which which game? It was. It was. That was a. It was the very first game. game I think. I'm oh, pretty sure. I'll just quickly share the story. It's really yeah. not that great, but there's two code givers and Andre's one of them and he has like notorious for talking while he's the code giver. He just can't shut up. Or just, like the verbal or visual clues. Visual cues, yeah. yeah. But whatever, we love him anyways. He's a great guy. So we're playing it's like the first round of the first game and our clue giver says powerful 3 and we're thinking about some powerful things and I say, well kings are powerful and we're talking about all these different powerful things. And Andre puts his hand kind of on his mouth to the opposite side as the clue giver and just says, you guys should pick King. And then so we talk a little <laughs> bit and then finally we pick King. And of course it's the assassin. <laughs> so everyone's laughing. I'm like, you just cheated as the clue giver. And he's like, well, you idiots fell for it. <laughs> that was the, the story. I just, I just love that. He just floated out and then you guys bit on it. And it was just, it was all. Yeah, Andre's the biggest heel. Oh, he is. <laughs> So, did you guys run into any crazy decks? Anything bizarre? Uh, I mean, I beat two 20, 25% matchups in the top eight, which was a little ridiculous. Yeah, so. when I saw that you were going up against that nauseum, I thought, like, that could go really poorly for you. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a slight digression, but uh, so I, I played Andrew Huska, who I know you guys have had on the show. 
Yeah, that's Curly, folks. Curly, the Red Deer, uh, Red Deer aficionado, I suppose. And he's playing junk. Uh, he's playing junk, and I beat him because, uh, well, I have decent draws and it's a favorable matchup, anyways. And then we find out the results uh, going into the semis, and it's almost impossible matchups all the way for me. And Curly kind of looks at me. He asks me if I can beat these decks, and I, I look him in the eye and I, I essentially tell him. My deck can't beat these decks, but my heart can beat these decks. <laughs> they're, they are, I'm not joking, they're like 20, maybe 30% percent What are these two matchups? Uh, it's uh, Grishelbrand okay. in the semis, and and then in the finals it was uh, Ad Nauseam combo. Okay. Basically, Grishelbrand is way faster than me, and... My only hard counters, game one, are Cryptics, which are four mana. And then yeah. post-board, they have Discard and Boseju. And then Ad Nauseam, it's almost impossible for me to kill them, but it's very easy for them to kill me. Because okay. my scape shifts get countered by a one mana instant that I can't respond to, which is uh, Angel's Grace. Yeah, so. yeah. And it there's nothing really I can counter do. them, though, right? It just like leaves them at one, so you could theoretically say go and... It does leave them at one, but then if I'm tapping out for four mana, they can very easily... And they can kill me at instant speed as well. Yeah. And I'm all sorcery speed, right? So. It's current Tribalder, man. Sacked going a mountain. Yeah, that's my only out. <laughs> I, still, I still lose to a second Angel's Grace, and then they combo me, right? And then, I, of course, I have to do extra damage because of Phyrexian on life, so I essentially have to do uh, variations of 33 damage instead of 20. Yeah. Things yeah. like that. And then you have, like, Grishelbrand can gain life. Yeah, yeah, at instant speed. So I have to assume they're going to be, again, gaining 13 life randomly sometimes. So it's brutal. The thing about those combo decks, though, is that they have the opportunity to just not win. Yes. Yeah, they're a little bit more inconsistent, for sure. Yeah. Did you play against anything weird, Doug? Anything... Uh, yeah, I played against. Uh, well, I heard at the four O table there was a mono green Charbelcher deck. So ah, okay, that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, I was trying to get the deck list from that from Brendan because apparently it's seven forests and a Charbelcher. Yes. Seven yeah. forests. It plays that like Chancellor guy that you like get a green mana in your opening hand or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I played against. At the five O table, so like kind of winning into top eight basically, because six O you're probably gonna be able to draw in and you'll get paired down and you'll probably be fine on breakers even if you go to six one. Um it was Absan Humans. So it was like Champion of the Parish and then Thalia's Lieutenants, he had Sin Collectors and Noble Hierarchs and Cocos. So it was just kinda like guys and they get big and stuff and then townships. That deck okay. seemed really cool. It top-baited, so that list will get out there. Uh, it was kind of funny, though, because he, like, sin-collected me, and I just showed him Thought-Nutsier, Reality Smasher, Drowner of Hope, and some lands, and he's like, okay. And then next turn, <laughs> he sin-collected me again, and I was like, I drew another Thought-Nutsier. And he's like, that seems good. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's and a little like, bit of an understatement. He, like, fiend-huntered uh, a Drowner because he had to, and then I killed the fiend-hunter, and Got, got more guys. <laughs> like, so, yeah. But it, the deck seemed really cool, and he did top eight, and, uh, yeah, so that was the coolest deck I played against. There was also a, a blue-white infinite turns control deck that almost top eighted. 
played by Olav, who's like a notorious Dirtle player. He plays like Lantern. Yeah. And, and he switched <laughs> from Lantern on WMCQ to this blue-white infinite terms with Flip Jace and like, I think, Supreme Verdicts. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I just played... I played two Bantel Drowsy Mirrors. Um, and a bunch of, like, in fact, I also played an unwinnable matchup, it felt like, in the quarters, and they asked, do you guys want to split the cash? And I instantly said no, and my opponent's like, I mean, it's a good matchup for me, and I'm like, I don't want to split. (laughs) (laughs) So. Did you end up splitting in the top four? I did. I played against Dean McLaren. I was on the play in a bad matchup, and I I was going to do it if he wanted to, and I was happy not to if he didn't want to. Uh, and the other guys, they made it very clear they wanted to. So he kind of hummed and hawed a bit. And Dean, just to give some context, he uh, played the last face-to-face Edmonton, split the whole top eight, and got second. Then last week in Red Deer, he split the whole to- to- whole top eight and got first. So we were talking about how the splits haven't been working for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me he wants to just run this one and not split. So when when it's him and me... The split, since it's a 5K, is like 700 each. And we're like, that's pretty decent. But if we win to the finals and split, it's 1,000. Or if you get first, it's 1,200. So he's kind of humming and hawing, and he knows it's a good matchup for him. Uh, we haven't really talked about the deck I played at all. But um, but yeah, he, he decided to split in the end, and I, I was fine to do it. I mean, I'm not greedy. I'm happy to... Dean made it clear if I hadn't have no-sirred the top eights, but he was going to no-sir it. So it was almost irrelevant if I not done it but I, I came to game so i challenged that i'm not greedy statement doug come on that's why i clarified the, <laughs> the top eight split but i mean i was on the play against dean i should i could have like easily taken that advantage and not mm-hmm. uh, not taking the split but so what did you play doug uh, i was playing bantel jazzy okay that's a little different from scape shift a little different, yeah. Or as I put on my deck list, uh, banned Eldrazi. <laughs> uh, I was on the podcast explaining that I really think they messed up in which uh, land they banned. Temple should have been the one banned, not I. And uh, the fun thing about banned Eldrazi for me was out of the eight rounds of Swiss, I played seven of the rounds. Because uh, at 601, I paired against a guy who was 7 and I played him. And in all seven rounds, I cast a turn two Thought Not Seer. In all of the rounds. And Jeez. if it was Ayavugan in the deck, not Temple, I could have cast a turn two Thought Not Seer exactly one of those times. It just would not have been possible to cast the Thought Not Seer if, if they had banned, uh, banned Temple. Because I either went Temple, Temple, Seer, or Forest, Noble Hierarch, Temple, Seer. Neither of those situations let you uh, turn two Thought Not Seer yeah. with an Ayavugan. So the deck was great. Um, I, I found an outdated Pascal Maynard list, and the thing that caught my eye was it had three main deck Thalias. Yeah, uh, that's that seems really sick, especially in like we were talking about this somewhat combo heavy meta that we had on the weekend. Yeah, and even against Infects, like that's a deck that kind of needs all of its mana to kill you sometimes, or if they're gonna like groundswell and then keep up a vines, they need four mana. If yeah. they're also trying to attack with Inkmoth, they need six. Like, that's not... That just doesn't happen. So, um, Thalia was great. Actually, it's part of the reason why I didn't split with the Ad Nauseam player, and he kind of laughed because he's like, 
until Jazzy's bye, and then game two and three, I just buried him under Thalia, and he was like, he was he was a very good sport, but he was complaining a little bit about how Thalia is just so stupid against his deck, and I'm kind of like, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. that good matchup now, huh? Welcome yeah. to Hate Bears. Well, I mean, what is the... <laughs> well, I know, except my Hate Bears are four fours for turn two that also take a card from your hands. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was, there was definitely a backlash because we were, like I said, we were surprised about the, that Grand Prairie contingent showing up with all the combo decks, and there was a lot more hate on the Sunday for the significant presence of Ad Nauseum in the format. Really? I did not notice anyone mm-hmm. change decks at all. I played the same 75 on both days. Some some people did. I, I A lot of our group added some extra sideboard cards, including myself. So. Man. Didn't finish so well on Sunday, but it's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bantel Jazzy, that deck is so fun because even when like I got ghost quartered a few times on my temples or like fulminated, and you have to then play like a clean game of magic, you can still play a pretty clean game of magic with that deck. Like Ancient Stirrings just is the best ponder ever. And you know, your cards, even if it's like Turn one Burge, turn three Thought Not Seer. Like, that's really strong. Yeah, turn three Thought Not Seer still seems pretty obscene. Yeah, that card is so good. One of the biggest, like, I guess, lessons to people that I would say you should do if you play with Noble Hierarchs, which maybe some people think is scummy, but I think it's just the way the rules work. I got multiple people by just, like, attacking with the Thought Not Seer. You just have a Noble Hierarch and just say, okay, attack with Thought Not, and my opponent would go, like, block with a 4-4, and I'd say, okay, damage, yeah, and they'd put theirs in the graveyard, and they say, yours dies too, and I'm like, no, mine's a 5-5, five, five. I have Exalted. Exalted is something you don't have to say the trigger at the yeah. time, you only have to prove that you remembered it. Um, yeah, when it matters. Relevant? Yeah. And, like, Dean said, I'll take 5 from Reality Smasher, and I said, no, no, it's sick. 6, even in the semis, so, like, I was doing it the whole way through. I don't think it's, like, no, it's, it's or scummy. Uh, it's just the rules work, but it's something people should take advantage of. I killed an opponent's Thonauts here in the round four, and it like cost him the game. He shouldn't have blocked, but he just didn't notice my noble. So, you don't think Dean was fishing for you to forget when he said, "Yeah, no, he, he was fishing for me to forget." Uh, obviously, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you have to do that. See, that's like the opposite side of it. Your opponent attacks with the guy. You either have to say how much, or you say. Do yeah. I take five? You have to kind of ask them because once they say yeah five, they've forgotten it. Yeah, they've they've demonstrated that they missed it. Yeah, but just I did I wasn't there for that. But when you tell that story, that's a huge alarm for me because Dean is a notoriously silent player, and if he says <laughs> something, you know there's a reason he said something. Yeah, I I, I got Dean talking. We were <laughs> maybe he was out of his element. I I had this like turn where he's attacking for potential lethal and i have two paths in my hand and and uh i have a birds up and and he casts like unkicked vines on one of his two blighted agents and i like tank and i'm like okay path it he has two cards left in his hand so he's resolving the path and while he's searching his deck i say do you have it because he has three lines up three cards in his graveyard and i'm praying he just taps out the cast uh, become immense for lethal because i have the second path and so i just say that do you have it? And he like looks at his hand and looks and he's like shaking his head and his eyes are getting big. And he's like, do you have it? Okay, I'll go for it. And I blow him out and <laughs> he's on tilt. Just like I totally walked into using it. 
And so then I quickly say, oh, when I said, do you have it? I meant Groundswell plus Apostle's Blessing. <laughs> like, that's what I meant. <laughs> but I, I, I got him talking in that match. <laughs> got to get people a little off kilter. Yeah, don't let them play their game. No, play, play the game that works for you, not so thoughts on the like the deck and its positioning and how you would change it going forward and did you feel like Pascal's version was outdated? Well, it definitely was outdated. I mean, I messaged Pascal afterwards and he says like, "Wait, you didn't play the updated version? That's really funny." But uh, the core of the deck's the same. It's just like nowadays people play uh, Spellskite over Thalia, which is better against Infect, but it's worse against like Ad Nauseam and Storm. Um, okay. And people play Mattery Shaper over Skyspawner, but I loved Skyspawner. He was like super good all tournament. Uh, and my sideboard was pretty god awful. I used about half of it during the tournament. Okay. Uh, but the deck's like super powerful. Uh, Can you talk fun. about the half that you used and the half that you didn't? I mean, I actually don't have any memory right now, just sitting here, of what what my rounds went like because I was I was really sick. I was like <laughs> oh, okay. sleeping against walls in between rounds. Like I'm not even joking. In between but turns. Oh well, yeah, that there was a round where I literally played land go and closed my eyes and rest my head against the wall and waited for him to say go, and my eyes were closed. He could have done anything. I have no idea, but. Uh, I was very sick, but um, I don't know. I brought in Thrag Tusk a lot, and I would like stare at my two Aljazi temples. Like I can never cast this Thrag Tusk. What am I doing? Okay. Um, I I don't really even remember what my sideboard was, but the the deck was outdated for sure, and it was awesome. <laughs> Eldrazi's really strong. I'm surprised more people aren't playing it. That'd be worth it. Give it a shot. Turn two thought not is so powerful. Yeah, like, it feels unbeatable. There's a I don't know if you know this one piece of technology. I'm not sure who came up with it, but uh, I saw Zach was using it because he was also this is a local player, Zach Tertansky. He was also on Band Eldrazi, and he's part of our kind of testing group. And he was running one boreal druid over I think one of the birds because he wanted the same number of accelerants but he wanted one more colorless source to make oh, sure that you hit yeah. you know turn to matter reshaper I just I, it was it's so small but it just it's one Makes of those things you just, yeah you don't think about until you look at it it's like that's that's kind of brilliant actually especially if he's playing matter reshaper I luckily mm -hmm. wasn't so I didn't but Dean uh, in game two he did uh, he played that two-mana thing, Spreading Seas, on my temple, mm. and then he tanked on one turn and decided to use a Dismember on an Eldrazi token because he knew I had a Thought Knot tier, and I'm re realizing I have no colorless sources because I had, like, birds out, but I didn't have any colorless sources. So yeah. mm. it was really interesting. I top-decked a brush landed and proceeded to win. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, that's a really good innovation, I think. Yeah. Heard it here first. Yeah. It's also, is it a human? I believe it's an elf druid. Yeah. Okay, so it's so, named druid together. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he was naming druid, druid with cavern quite a bit. Because I had a funny moment. I got a buy round one. Um, actually, seven people in the room had no-show opponents, and three of them were Sean McLaren, myself, and Marcel Zafra, like three of the better, like three of the top, 
you know, five players in the room all got biased around one. It was kind of funny. Uh, and so then round two is my first round, and I had a Chinese Birds of Paradise in my hand. And so I played a cavern and had to, like, get Oracle text on Birds of Paradise to see what creature type it was, because I assumed it was bird, but didn't want to, you know, <laughs> get, get Rickrolled. Yeah. Uh, and I, my deck contained exactly one bird. So that cavern then was just a complete dud after that. But it did its work because I cast a turn two thought on here. So. <laughs> Must be rough. Uh, uh, well, that's why you keep the hand. The hand was like temple, temple, cavern, bird, thought not, reality, drowner. Like, you got to keep that, right? On yeah. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he killed the bird, I was like. Only turned three reality smash. Yeah, yeah, you you got that big massive setback. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you were on the play, Doug. I was on the play. Yeah, <laughs> won the die roll too. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great getting to four mana on turn two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mulliganed probably sixty percent of my games, maybe sixty five percent of my games. Um, I. I had a an Eldrazi mirror opponent who was complaining that I always had turn two thought here and. He kept all three of his hands, and I went to six, five, and six, and I was kind of looking at him like, I, I got there because I mulligans. Like, that like, reminds me of uh, Pro Tour Return to Ravnica, where Haynes playing against a guy, and that's when they were all playing Affinity at that Pro Tour. And Hayne drops like a couple creatures in his land, and then Buddy sits there and paths one of his creatures on his own turn. So then Hayne has the mana to untap and. Uh, uh, cranial plating and attack with a cranial plating, and Buddy's just like, "Geez, that deck's so fast! Like, how, how do you even beat that?" We're <laughs> <laughs> oh, just like, "You got to get on my level, bro." Yeah. <laughs> so funny. But like, you got a mulligan in modern. I don't know about yeah. you, both, so I don't know how your deck is if you mulligan a lot. But I find that. The, there's a correlation between the more I mulligan and the more I win in modern. I won two games at four cards this week. Weren't you dredge? I was dredge, so it doesn't, really count. it doesn't really count. Because, <laughs> like, the cards in my hand, all the cards in my hand are is Conflagrate uh, fodder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my deck actually mulligans less now that we've added the whole explore package so we draw more cards so you can keep a few more speculative hands but i i did i do mulligan a fair bit just because there's there's a lot of hands where you just kind of look at it and you say well this is fine but if he's got a fast start which you know 70 80 percent of the decks maybe that number is too high but though a huge portion of the metagame is is trying to be as fast as possible you have to ship those hands and fish for you know the early bolt, the early remand, or the acceleration heavy hand sort of thing. Well, yeah, like uh, your match versus Chantel game well, one, you had to mulligan pretty hard, even though like your opening hand was a completely acceptable scapeshift hand. You just you knew that she was playing abusive combo, and you needed to have something to disrupt her. Eventually, you mulled down to something that couldn't still disrupt her, but it was playable. But you had those options to keep drawing cards to try and find that hand. Yeah, I did mulligan a lot in that top eight. I mean, that whole information thing is a huge factor. I, I think it's more specific to the archetype, though. Knowing, yeah. 
Like knowing that you're against those matchups is makes you mulligan so much more. Of course, you're you're absolutely right there. Yeah, and that's the one thing that you see a lot of people do. Like, I got to burn some matches, and when I was burning matches, you'll see people be sitting down for game two. They go to play. Person looks at their hand, and it's a great game one hand in the sense that you don't know what you're playing against, but it does nothing to interact with their opponent, and they're just setting themselves up for failure. And they keep it anyways because it's a it's a good game one hand. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I think six cards and a scry has a way better chance of getting you success when you're playing against burn or playing against affinity where you know that these are like really quick matchups or something abusive that you need to have some sort of disruption for. There was a really interesting thing I always try and do, and uh, it happened to really work out in my benefit this tournament. But uh, I sat down in one of the rounds and my opponent pulled out their life pad and I looked over at it. I always look over at their life pad and he had on the left side was like his life total. And then the right side was the opponents and kind of near the bottom of each of the opponents, there was tick marks like one, two, three, four line three for five. And I was like, mm. okay, man, playing in fact. Yeah. It's for sure playing in fact. And uh, so I looked at my opening hand and it was one of the rare times that I didn't have a temple and a thought on here, but my hand was, Forest birds, like two other random lands, an Eldrazi temple, uh, and two paths. So my hand was like pretty bad, but I was like, it has two paths, and I know that actually there was there was one thread. I think there was a drowner in there, but it was like the hand was really slow. Yeah. So, but I had two paths, and I was like, okay, well, either I'm about to get completely leveled by my opponent, not actually being that deck or I'm just going to get him because I realize he's on impact. So I keep it. And, uh, I was on the, the draw and turn money probes me and plays a glistener elf. And I was like, all right. I, I <laughs> yeah. And then turn two, I did top deck thought not here. So I got to play. <laughs> Every story of Doug's is like, yeah. And then I got, I got pretty lucky there. And then, <laughs> that's the thought not here. Yeah, it's I mean, true, on a different note, like, <laughs> players don't, this is one thing I, I rant about a lot, is that players don't realize how much information they give up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I'm observant. information is huge. Yeah, I'm observant for that sort of stuff. I look for any sort of thing, and I'm also hyper-conscious of what I talk about, how I talk about my matchups, like my last round matchups, or whatever. I don't give away anything. And I see people all the time, like, shuffle face up towards me, or or whatever. They'll, like, leave no, their notes on their sideboard, or they'll just straight up tell you the, you know, how their matches go. It's just it's bizarre to me how, how loose people are with information. Yeah, it's always fun, like, asking, oh, what did you play last round? You know, how was that a matchup for you? Well, just trying to probe a little bit of information out. Then, like, their friend will walk up, and, they'll, like, they'll have a conversation about how last round went. And, like, it's like, okay, well, oh, yeah, that's a bad matchup for Jund. It's like, okay, he's playing Jund. Or you look at the life pad, and you see that they've seen the card. So it's like, okay, they're playing a deck that either has Gitaxian Probe or a Jund-type deck because they've got a lot of discard in it. They can see your hand. So, you know, I have to respect that okay maybe they are playing inquisitions and stuff and i have to keep a hand that can eat an inquisition and maybe not aggressively mulligan because i can't afford to lose any more cards you know, 
little little stupid things like that. It's always that kind of strikes me as weird though too, because I mean, you get free life pads at all these events now. Yeah. And, and you get you know you get your little face to face life pad counter. Shout out to face to face games dot com. Fast fast. Fast fast. Je fast fast. Or or my soon to be rival company Doa Do Je Doa Do dot com or whatever it is, but. You get like I always flip to a fresh page yeah. right before I put my pad down on the table. Yeah, right? it's just part of my ritual kind of thing in preparation. I I open my box so my opponent can't see the cards I'm pulling out or whether I have tokens or extra stuff in there. Can't check my sideboard under the table and then you know put my deck on the table, put everything back, and they see very little, right? So then I'll walk by, I'll walk through a tournament, and I'll see people finish their match, and they're de-sideboarding completely face-up. Yeah. It drives me bonkers. Uh, is You're just showing, you know, like, oh, I brought in all these cards against you, and I don't know, are you are you saying, hey, I still lost despite all these cards I brought in against you or something or, or like, whatever it is? I, I don't know about you guys, but it's like, do you ever... Because I, I know of a couple guys who will actually do the they won't get to their chair right away. They'll try and get to their chair right before they have to so that they can approach from the backside. Like, they'll see where their seat is, and then they'll see their opponent, and they'll try and walk behind their opponent to see if their opponent's pulled out their deck and stuff like that to, like, do the scum-type stuff. Yeah. I and, Yeah, I don't ever do that. I am always... But I am always conscious of yeah. that. I will take yeah. my yeah. deck out and immediately put it face down in front of me until my opponent walks up and sits down. See, and where my advice is with that, and what I always do as practice is I don't take out my deck. I don't open up my life pad. I don't do any of that stuff until my opponent is in front of me where I can see him. Uh, I, I did that when I was 15 or 16. Okay. I will admit that. When I was a stupid kid and I thought I was good, or I thought I was way better than I actually was, I made some bad decisions back then. I, I I have done that once or twice. I no longer do that, of course. Yeah. But you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, it's it's an edge, and you know, it's almost impossible for the judging staff or anybody else to catch you. But it's just not one of those things. Uh, like a self-respecting. Well, yeah. I, I mean, arguably, like if a self-respecting kind of competitive player does, right? Because it's yeah. not. It's it's almost a it's a crutch to a large extent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got uh, one of these Dex Protector boxes. They're just like these massive boxes, and they kind of have this flap over them, and I just find that the box itself actually blocks a lot of viewing angles. Yeah, because it kind of opens up with a big flap on the side, so it kind of gets rid of that angle of... Yeah, and so I I usually do take my deck out and start pile shuffling, but I do it in a way that you couldn't see it, like, walking around. Yeah. But, yeah. It, I, I always am conscious of it. So, Doug, um, Ban Eldrazi, what are the bad matchups for Ban Eldrazi? Well, that would probably require a little bit of testing. But I didn't ask. I played uh, <laughs> Infect four times on the weekend, two on the first day, two on the second. And the first day I went 0-2 drop, and the second day I didn't lose a match, so I finished 2-2. Uh, so probably Infect is not a great matchup. I assume the combo decks aren't that great a matchup. Thalia was really helpful there. That's why I'm kind of surprised they switched it to Spellskite. 
because I guess like Spellskite's good against Infect too, but I don't know. Thalia is just so good. Yeah, it seems fine against Infect. Yeah, it, it totally was fine against Infect when I resolved it. It was and like the Splicer is really good against Infect. Are you good against like Nahiri style decks or like hard control decks? No, I didn't play against them, but I can't imagine them being that bad for me. I think combo decks are probably the worst. Uh, yeah, you can thought knot them and hopefully get in the Hiri, but you're just kind of dirtling sometimes playing like Drowners and playing Reality Smashers and then they just combo kill you. Yeah. You don't really have a way to stop Infinite Life, so I imagine Abzan Coco probably isn't that great a matchup. Once again, you can thought knot them, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, and they have the, the pieces that they need to kind of draw the game out a little bit versus you. Exactly. So uh, maybe the fact that Abzan Coco is disappearing is why this deck's becoming a real thing, because I can't imagine that's a good matchup. Um, the mirror is really awkward. Because um, you like, there's spots where you both have like 75 Eldrazi tokens because you're both just splicing your drowners and not pulling the trigger <laughs> on like actually sacking them. Although I did a really sweet play where I sacked my two tokens to tap two of my opponent's guys, and then I played a pivot needle, and he then sacked his tokens, and then I named Displacer when it resolved, and then I played a Reality Smasher and had enough to kill him. Wow. Because he, like, had he not sacked them, I would have named Drowner, but he had to sack them, and yeah, so that was really cool. But, uh, um, pivot needle was also sweet because I named, uh, Lightning Storm uh, one time. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. You can't, you can't discard lands to make it do more than three then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I just think, yeah, combo decks. Abzan, Coco, okay. predominant of those. I mean, and Nahiri doesn't seem that hard to beat. You just play Reality Smasher, attack with Exalted, it's dead kind of thing. Like, I don't know. Jund is a great matchup. So... Yeah, you seem like you have it's you have resilient threats and mm-hmm. and you're fast. They have like inquisitions don't do much, bolts don't do a ton. So yeah, and you could pass their roadblocks. Yeah, I think your Ponza deck would probably be a bad matchup too. Yeah, yeah, you were you were kind of going on about that before the show. Yeah, I can't imagine how I beat like. Even, like, just a Blood Moon would be really hard to beat for this deck. That's two basic lines in it. Yeah. So, like, take out the Ponza stuff. Any deck that plays Blood Moon, I feel like, would probably just beat me up. Did you see uh, Sean's uh, deck? Sean McLaren oh, on day two? On day two. I walked past and saw, like, three Border Posts and a Gargadon. And, oh, I missed this. And, what? And a Nahiri, and I was just, like, shaking my head and walked he away. He played Nahiri, Blood Moon, Restore Balance. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, it's funny because, like, I get the... Dean walks up to me, like, right at the end of uh, of day one, or of the, the WMCQ. And he said, Jeremy, I heard you might be the guy I need to talk to if I need to borrow restore balance stuff. And then I just like, I guess like I just lit up like a kid in a candy store. Like he he actually like interrupted me from me to about to say, yes, I can help you to say you are really excited looking right now. You know, he, he again, like we were saying, Dean isn't very much of a, a talker, but my sheer body language like made him 
have to comment that I was very excited to hear him ask me those words. So uh, I guess I, I hooked him up with some restore balance and some, I don't know what any of the names of the cards are. I don't know the names of magic cards. Uh, the blue white enchantment that uh, cascades. Um, art so, and play. Art and play. There we go. I'll play the hell out of it. I just don't know what it's called. Um, so yeah, I, I hooked up. I'm like, I've got this stuff foiled out. I've been foiling out restore balance. I love the deck. And, uh, so yeah, I brought that stuff. And then I guess he had borrowed a bunch of stuff from Mike to do the other half of the deck. And he built this blood moon, uh, sideboard full of ley lines of sanctity, uh, Nahiri with the Emrakul restore balance, greater Gargadon monstrosity deck. I think it also had idyllic tutor. Yeah, he was looking for idyllic tutors, but I guess he only found two. So I don't know what he replaced it with. I saw some, uh, oh my goodness, uh, the blue draw three, discard a land, or two uh, two cards. Compulsive research. Yeah. So, no, that wasn't that one. It must have been the discard an artifact one then. Thirst for knowledge? Yeah, thirst. I think it was thirst. <laughs> so you can discard a border post? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw a lot of just, like, really, really obnoxious plays where it would be, you know, top deck the border post. So he sits there and plays the border post down, bounces his basic land. Since he's already playing basic lands, it doesn't matter that he's blood mooning people because he needs the basic lands for his border post. It's got the Nahiri going. Just, like, some really, really obnoxious things. Uh, it didn't do too well for him, I guess, but still, it was pretty fun to see, and I always get a kick out of Restore Balance, so... And I saw one other person playing Restore Balance. There's at least two people playing Restore Balance on the uh, the 5K. Ugh. Yeah, I think he went, was it 2-2 two, two or 3-2 into drop into code names or something? Yeah, yeah, 3-2 yeah. yeah. drop into code names. Played code names with a... Uh, played code names with a piece of paper and a pen. Was actually yeah. making notes. Oh, yeah, he was getting pretty serious about the code yeah. names. Then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, what did you play this weekend? Uh, so we were talking about the 2K and how I was feeling really defeated on the dredge front uh -huh. uh, because my blue-green infect matchup was just stone garbage. So I sat there and I was messing around with a few different decks online. I was looking at some odd lists because I like to play some strange things. Uh, I saw a Zur deck and I had put that together at one point, so I was trying to play that a little bit. Then I went to... Uh, you are just not serious about winning, are you? Uh, I just I, I I have that that stupid habit of wanting to play something a little bit different. So I kind of played around with a few of those things, and they were just they were bad. They were bad, bad, bad. So I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to run back dredge. We know how to play dredge. We know our dredge deck. Like we we should just run it back. And then the Friday night, I sit there and I'm like, well, I should really give this uh, the conflagrate. Narcomoeba version uh, a try and see what it's like because it's got way more card draw it seems like it'd be a little bit more explosive but it also seems it's also a little bit more resilient against infect because I do get free Narcomoebas mm -hmm. so I'm like okay let, let, let's, let's try that out so I sit there and I put it together and I go into a competitive league and I five on it and it's like okay that feels pretty good but let's let's run it back let's you know maybe we just we got lucky and I five over the next one so I, I five oh two back to back and I'm just like okay we're we're done screwing around. This is the deck I want. Unfortunately, it's 1.30 in the morning, and I can't find any of the cards for it. So I start messaging people, trying to dig up cards for it. I'm messaging, uh, messaging Curly, trying to get in touch with Larson, getting in touch with Lewis, trying to find pieces of it. 
two o'clock in the morning, I find my narcomibas and my burning increase. So it's like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. The only thing I can't find is the conflagrates, which is a big deal because that card is actually a huge piece of that deck. Uh, was that also card. reprinted? It was reprinted. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't reprinted. It's only in uh, Time Spiral, if I remember correctly. Okay. So I'm sitting there, and it's like, ah, and then Curly says, yeah, I've got those. I can bring them. So it's like, fantastic. But he's only got two, and I'm supposed to have three, and I really wanted three, but uh, I decide that I'm just going to put a Vengeful Pharaoh in the deck instead. Okay. Oh, my God. Hey, <laughs> that was good. Help me beat Affinity. Oh, okay. Got him. Got him. <laughs> Continue, please. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Please. So, uh, obviously, I do the, the great play of I get to the event center, and I'm asking absolutely everybody if they have conflagrate, and everybody's looking at me like I'm drunk because why the hell would anyone bring that card with them? Face to face doesn't have any. Uh, the warp stores didn't have any. Like nobody had any of them. Um, so I, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I walk around and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this deck. I want to play this deck. I've got the deck list all printed out. I've got everything put together. But I sit there and I look at the clock and it's five minutes till the players meeting and. Curly's nowhere to be found, and he's got the conflagrates that I need. And I'm sitting there going, oh, fuck, like, I'm going to get screwed here. So I pull out a deck sheet, and I start writing down my, my dredge vine list and start putting the deck back together because I just had this feeling that, like, I might get screwed. So I had brought all the dredge vine stuff with me, too, and I take apart my deck, and about two or three minutes after the... The, the players' meeting was supposed to start just as they're announcing this, the, the seating for the players' meeting. That's when Curly finally shows up. So I'm like, oh, crap. So I get the cards, and I'm sitting at the players' meeting, and I'm building my deck, like, right in front of everybody. As, as, as usual. As usual. As GP Toronto, as many tournaments where I am building my deck at the players' meeting. And people are passing around the, the play mats, and I'm just like, sorry, guys, I'm not going to participate. Like, just pass over me, pass around me, do whatever you need to do. So I'm sitting there putting everything together, and I get it put together, and everyone's kind of having a laugh, but it's it's all working out. So uh, I end up, yeah, running the two Conflagrates and Eventual Pharaoh. And day one goes pretty good. I get a first-round matchup against Burn, and it just didn't work out for me. Uh, game one, uh, we kind of have a back-and-forth, and... Forth and I I get some damage in on him, but he just gets too much damage down on me. And uh, he had had like a, a quick uh, guide and uh, the uh, monastery switch spear hand, so just kind of get some really early beats on me. And I don't hit any narcomibas, so all of my threats can't block or come to play tapped. So it, it game one doesn't end up being a game. Game two, he gets himself into a situation where he taps out to uh, to try and get a creature down on the board. He puts out a uh, Eidolon or whatever, and I am able to kill it with an abrupt decay, take some damage. When he's tapped out, I'm able to cast the Knot of the Bone and like get another 15 life or 16 life or whatever. And from that point there, I'm able to just kill him out because he just can't keep up with me at that point. And then game three, I just have one of those hands where I just can't get an untapped threat or some way to gain life. I'm in the spot where it's like I've got the Knot of the Bone in the graveyard but he's got the untapped mana, and he puts me into a position where I need to use it, and he has the uh, the uh, Grill Charm or whatever the thing's called. Grill... Is it Grill Charm? Atarkas Command? Atarkas Command, yeah, same thing, whatever. Uh, 
Yeah, and Tarkus. Reskinned. It's reskinned. Reskinned, yeah. So, yeah, he, he fires that off, and uh, that that's it for me. So, uh, he wins that one, and I'm feeling a little rough because it's like, I might have been able to play some things different. I could have played things a little bit more aggressive with my my uh, draws and how that kind of went, but whatever the case may be, I start off in the 01 bracket, and I'm just like, oh, crap, but uh, I go to the next game. The next game, I'm quite literally in last place. I'm at the last seat in the, the tournament. I'm at the last table, which is great because it meant I got so much space because we just slid over and we had a perfect uh, big table for that. And I end up playing against a Jun player, and the Jun matchup is not too bad for me. Uh, he goes turn two scavenging news in all three games that we played, and I was able to win through it. So that felt really good. Uh, game one, we had a big back and forth. His uh, he he fires off his he goes uh, turn one forest and into some sort of manor ramp thing. I think he had a, a birds of paradise, which was kind of weird because that's not something you would normally see in a kind of a gen list. Uh, but he has a, an accelerant, and then his turn two, he follows it up with a, a green source and goes scavenging news. And I had already done, uh, I had already gotten a grave troll in my graveyard because I had done a faithless looting. And he goes to try and eat my grave troll. And I have a street wraith, just a, like a miser street wraith in the deck. So I'm able to cycle it to draw a card and dredge six, get out of the way of the scavenger news. And from there, I'm able to just do some obscene things. So managed to win that game because I was able to dodge that one scavenger news activation. And the thing that's really strong about this particular version of the dredge deck is it has so many draw effects in it. It's got the burning increase. It's got goblin lore. It's got uh, the insolent neonate. It's got faithless looting. So if I can get a dredge card into my graveyard and use one of those abilities, I can easily have a turn two where I dredge like 17 cards. And then at that point there, scavenger news just doesn't really do anything because I've already got so much stuff going on. They can't really keep up. Yeah. So game two is just one of those games where I don't really have the threats and his scavenger news gets online and is able to kind of beat me up because I just don't have the right uh, pieces. Um, he actually accurately got rid of my, uh, uh, went after my, not instead of going after my creatures, he went after my uh, life from the loams and I couldn't do anything past that. So that kind of set me back. And then game three, it was just a game where I was able to kind of get a whole bunch of creatures out and had 10 power on the board at the end of turn two, and he just couldn't keep up with it. Uh, next matchup, I end up playing against... I can't even remember, but I, I end up playing against like a few different control decks, and those matchups were going really well for me. Uh, I remember in day two... I get to the later parts, uh, I think it was like round five in day one, and I end up playing against a Hate Bears deck. And the Hate Bears deck, it was just too tough because, again, he was like Thought Not Seer, so he was able to kind of get uh, one of my uh, card draw cards or spells out of my hand and exile it, which was kind of a tough thing because I was really holding on to it to try and do some stuff with. And he was able to get an early Thalia into play, and that really makes my deck hard to use because I count on getting myself to two mana so that I can do a 
conflagrate to get rid of all of his early pressure. And then my next play is to get a life from the loan back to cast it, to get some lands so that I can sit there and start playing out lands and doing turn three faithless lootings and that kind of stuff, like three mana faithless looting. So I have to set myself up to, I have two mana efficiently and then try to get myself to three mana. Uh, sometimes it's through Dakmore salvage, but I kind of like doing like the life from the loam so that I'm always dredging uh, higher numbers. Mm -hmm. So he was able to, with Othalia, he just kind of shut me down. And I wasn't hitting any uh, Dark Blasts out of my deck, so I wasn't able to kind of deal with it. And it just it went south, and he was able to beat the tar out of me, and I couldn't really do anything with it. I had another game where I was trying to find a land, and I was drawing off of my deck, and I had seen, I think, 19 cards in my deck, and I'd only seen one land. So I was figuring I'd just have to top deck and hope that i draw one of my lands, and it just never came. So lost that match, felt pretty salty at that point there, but I ended up playing a few more and get myself into the cash because what it was was everyone who had an X2 record or better got 100 store credit, and then the top eight all got Eternal Masters boxes. So okay. it was a pretty good prize payout. So, yeah, I, I felt pretty good about the deck, and X2 is, is still pretty good with that, uh, that deck. Uh, I don't have a ton of modern practice yet. Um, I'm still, you know, getting back into things after working so much and being out of the game, not playing a ton. So really, really positive to kind of have things go that way. Got to see, you know, some good matches towards the end of the day. CBSU, uh, Bosu uh, beat up some stuff, uh, people. So that was pretty cool. Uh, watched Sean McLaren get absolutely ripped to pieces by Chantel with uh, her Grishel brand. Because, uh, yeah, that, that match didn't go very well in the, the finals for him. Uh, day two, decided I want to play the same deck get to the event center, do the exact same thing that I did the day before, go up to everybody and ask if they have any conflagrates. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed to just get, like, ridiculed by everybody because it's like, why the hell didn't you say anything? And it's like, hey, I asked you guys for them yesterday. Well, you didn't ask for them for today. And it's like, what does that matter? You should have known somebody was asking for conflagrates. You should have put them in your binder. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so just dirt, dirt, dirt. Uh, <laughs> That's a funny name for this episode. Conflagrate? Conflagrate? Yeah. <laughs> What is that card? It was funny because I, I said, like, I'm, I'm playing that, and everyone's like, oh, man, he's on ad nauseum. And it's like, no, I'm not, but I'll have you think that way. Sure, whatever. Like, <laughs> so It's funny because this was probably, like, the single most conflagrates in one room at a time because all the Grand Prix guys were on ad nauseum, and you just didn't have any. Well, do they even play conflagrate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the storm kill. It's one of the alternate kills. Yeah. Like, I just, I know that, like, they have their lightning storm type thing, but I hadn't seen very it's many of them. that if they don't have enough lines, they can just discard their hand. Yeah. I, I know a lot of them were playing the uh, the other kill of uh, uh, Laboratory Maniac. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, day two, I end up playing against Dean round one. He's got his blue-green impact. I'm sitting there like, ah, oh, crap, blue-green impact. This is going to suck. Uh play three games, and the three games went really well. Like, game one, I am able to just out outrace him. He uh, he actually... I, I do the turn one Burning Inquiry, and the Burning Inquiry forces him to discard what he needed because he had kept a hand that could kill me, like, pretty much instantly, but I was able to hit a few cards with the Burning Inquiry, which was, like, huge for me. Um, throughout the tournament, I had a couple cases where Burning Inquiry, like one player, I had Burning Inquiry and I land screwed them because they just <laughs> discarded the lands. They didn't draw any lands and they discarded their lands at random. So, like, that card has the ability to Hearthstone and just RNGesus. And uh, 
I, I like that um, because a lot of people don't expect it coming. Uh, so we play three games. They're very close, and it was one of those cases where it's like next turn I have the win, but he just happens to have what he needs to do to win the game, and that was cool. Like I, I was just happy that I was in the blue-green infect match instead of just being completely outside of it. Uh, end up playing against a uh, like a suicide zoo, but he never hit any of his death shadows, and it was great because all it was was my turn to... I cast Conflagrate from my graveyard, discard five cards on my hand, kill his creatures, and then he doesn't get to do anything. <laughs> so both games I do that. Game two, though, he follows it up with a Graph Digger's Cage, and he feels pretty good about things. So all I do is dredge back life from the loam, put a land into play, dredge back life from the loam, get a couple lands, uh, then just start dredging some cards with uh, Golgari Grave Troll on turn five. He hasn't really put anything onto the board. I had a Dark Blast at one point to kill something. Uh, and then I'm able to just follow it up with casting Golgari Grave Trolls because I can still dredge them out of my graveyard and then casting 14-14 Golgari Grave Trolls, which he just wasn't able to fight through. Um, so that was, you know, the way that I get around Cage is just dredge back the cards and cast them instead of casting them out of my graveyard and hope that I have, you know, a decent position on board that I can get to casting... Because at one point I had cast a Stinkweed Imp to block something and trade with it, and then the next one was like that's when I started getting the Grave Trolls going. So you still have some play against uh, Cage. Mm. Played against Andre and Curly tilted him mid match, so that was pretty uh, interesting. How'd you finish? Uh, so day two I went two two drop. At that point there I was just done and played a little bit of code names and played some judges tower so that was fun gotta, uh, we gotta stop you with this getting to play yeah. judges tower nonsense judges tower is fun yeah but not for, for, for how <laughs> as as doug would put it for how loose and how poorly uh how how, yeah, how loose i play judges tower i think is a really good exercise for me because you have to play impossibly tight no, I just don't want you, uh, like, the best weekends are when you don't get to play Judges Tower because you're too busy winning. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Like, I, <laughs> I like to win. I like to do obscene things with the, 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 the dredge deck. Playing against Andre, he's trying to, like, get me because he, he was playing Zoo, and every time I dredged, like, my first, my first uh, three turns that I dredged, I hit an Archimede off of it. So he just wasn't able to put any pressure on me, and I was getting back all the free cards because Prize Algum's come back with it. He tries to kill a Prize Algum. Well, don't worry. Next turn, I'll dredge, and I'll hit an Archimede and bring it back again. And, like, getting into the situation where some of the people didn't understand exactly what was going on with things, like, um, I have a Prize Algum in the graveyard that's coming back. <laughs> Algum just get. Amalgam just gets shorter and shorter with you. Yeah, prize, prize day. <laughs> I got a prize day. He's like, yeah. I'm looking for conflagrates yeah. and hey, prize amalgam. Somewhat, somewhat know what the name of these cards are. Should be, that should be a win in my books. <laughs> Doug, and what it, were you going to say earlier? I wasn't going to say anything. I'm just writing some cue cards to test Jeremy later on card <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> If, if this is how this cast is going to go, do, do we have time for my entire tournament report still? <laughs> if I have, like, 
Like, hey, if we're gonna go play uh, by Jeremy play. just likes to ramble. It's so. a running thing when they ask Jeremy, how'd your tournament go? I usually just, like, skip 35 minutes in the podcast. <laughs> well, no, Capella loves it, so I'm doing it for Capella. <laughs> Capella's like, every time you win, I like it because it needs you talk more about your tournament report. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a little bit, just a little bit arrogant here and be like, you know, Jeremy's, like, his his extremely detailed 2-2 finish report is maybe... Hey! <laughs> the daggers. Like, like, Doug and I have some stories of... Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy, but we have some victory stories. You know? Well, tell your victory stories. I'll let you guys have the fucking mic off the get-go. I that's <laughs> that statement. Mine were turn two thought not here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doug, Doug's a lot of turn two thought not here's. Mine was a lot of Sakura tribe dealing 11 damage, that sort of thing. So, uh, One thing that Brian did ask me to do, or Brendan, sorry, Brendan uh, asked me to do was uh, do a little PSA, uh, because I guess on the judging side, the thing that kept coming up on the weekend that he had to keep giving warnings for were people not understanding how Nahiri and Emrakul work uh, when you're doing your pluses. So people would be discarding their Emrakuls and then shuffling their graveyard into their library and then drawing a card. Hmm. Because they did not understand how that interaction happens. So yes, Emrakul has a when, it has a triggered ability when it goes into the graveyard that you shuffle everything into your library. But triggered abilities don't happen until whatever caused it to happen finishes resolving. So if you're ever discarding an Emrakul to a Nahiri, you discard, you draw a card, then you put the Emrakul ability on the stack and then go from there, resolve from there. So if you're playing with this, you're playing against somebody with this, that's how it works. So don't screw that up because I guess that was the most common call that they were having this weekend were people screwing up that. Okay. Yeah. So that's my little PSA moment. The more you know. You, and you learned that because of Judge Tower or whatever? No, I didn't learn that from Judge Tower. I knew how that worked. Mm-hmm. I just brought it up because Brendan was nice enough to say, hey, could you bring this up on the show because people keep screwing this up? So I like to do that kind of stuff. The one thing I see a lot of people screw up on is, like, I'll, you know, I'll be in a match, I'll call a judge over, and, you know, my opponent will ask, you know, uh, a question about Pithing Needle. And whether oh he can name a card. And then the judge will say, you know, yeah, you can name that card, but that won't actually do anything. Uh, and then and I will spend the rest. Yeah, it's too much information. Does, <laughs> has that ever happened to you guys? Just some, Never happened to me. Some random judge <laughs> just, you know, messes with you or screws up your tournament. It gives them too much information. Like, I don't know. It just seems to happen to me a lot. Uh, I just know the rules, so I don't have to call a judge. Well, I'm, I'm not calling the judge. My opponent's calling the judge. I'll just explain it to them. <laughs> I think you messed up, OC. That, that could be true. That could be true. You know. <laughs> that was a dagger, Jeremy. That, that was a dagger. That was a dagger. Not um, completely accurate dagger, but a dagger nonetheless. Funny can, moment can you, from like, this tournament. Or... Go ahead. I was just going to say something similar actually happened where it wasn't the judge that screwed it up, but this almost cost someone top eight. Um, sitting next to Bosu, from what I heard, it might have been an early round, I heard the story secondhand, but Tyler Bloom is like one of uh, Alberta's top players. Uh-huh. He's definitely a Calgary's top player, and he was playing a win-and-in against Zach, uh, the other Bantel Jazzy player, and it either happened in this match or an earlier match, but Tyler told me he called a judge 
to get like Oracle text on the exact name of a card that was in his hand, I believe. Um, I can't remember the details, but he basically was an engine explosives. He wanted like exact Oracle text on the card. Um, Cause I think he was going to try and like cast the X as a higher X or something like that. I can't remember why, but the point is the judge then said, um, can you say the name of the card, please? So I can search it. And he's kind of looking at the judge like, what? No, I'm not going to say <laughs> the name of the card that's in my hand because it's in my hand. I'm not going to do that. And then a spectator was like, oh, that's engineered explosives. <laughs> oh, that is so bad. Yeah. Luckily, he like then cast the engineered explosives that turn. So it didn't like matter per se. But um, yeah, that's uh a little trick that I always do is when I call a judge for something like that, I actually ask them to speak away from the table. Yeah. And had Tyler done that, no information would have been leaked. Had, uh, had Brian Sue's opponent who called Jeremy done that, Jeremy would have leaked the information, Bo would have never heard it. And then <laughs> yeah, I would have good. never tilted it out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so always you ask to out speak, of your mind. Always ask to speak to the judge away from the table. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was great. I, I mean, the one thing I do want to mention is uh, the three events, the Red Deer, the face-to-face, and the uh, – excuse me, just give me one second. I'm scape-shifting somebody. The face-to-face event the in Red Deer and then the World Champ – the sorry, the World Magic Cup qualifier uh, and then the face-to-face in Edmonton here were won by basically – myself doug and dean mclaren and it to me it's a it's a kind of a huge pride point because we're kind of part of a a local group of players that you know we exchange ideas it's a little bit more loose it's not a you're a team we're we're a team but in a very loose sense of the word we're a team that doesn't test or really work (laughs) we support each other morally we're in a facebook group and no one posts except hey how's the tournament going well, what's I your feel... team's name? That is up for debate at the moment. <laughs> it's called the Pro Path Crew because yeah. it was just a bunch of guys trying to get on the Pro Path to get to the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. And since joining the team, Brian, like since this kind of all started, Brian got to Pro Tour Milwaukee. I then got to Atlanta and Sydney. It's all kind of been snowballing. A bunch of our players win. PPTQs, Attila's potentially going to the dance in the RPTQ. Uh, we have a lot of like Brett won a PPTQ. A lot of the guys are just crushing it lately. So, and yeah, it's, it's it, nice. It has that, brought Edmonton better than Calgary in terms of Magic players. That we're doing it from a really positive standpoint. I believe it's not so cutthroat. It's more like supporting and encouraging and lifting up and brian's like really really good at that community building he's kind of like the dad of the group i'm kind of like oh god uncle of the group (laughs) for the cool uncle he's not as responsible you know he's not gonna prepare the meals like brian's gonna test he's just gonna kind of show up on his motorbike and do cool things and everyone's gonna be like whoa there's a cool uncle God, I was really hoping to avoid this uncle-dad analogy on this podcast. I bring up the analogy all the time, and it is flawless. But uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, whereas some of the Calgary guys, I feel like it's more competitive. It's like, we want to be better than you, and I'm kind of like of the mentality that I'd rather everyone gets better because 
if Brian gets better than me, that means he can teach me stuff, which means I'll get better. Isn't that kind of the whole point? So, Doug, can you just stop being such an such a great guy for a second? Hey, <laughs> fuck you, Matt Mendoza. I, I, like <laughs> I heard what you said about me in that podcast that I wasn't on. What'd you hear? Oh, yeah. What time? It wasn't nice. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I, it's more just a, a group of friends. I could like see myself messaging some of these guys and saying, "Hey, let's go walk around and play Pokemon Go and catch Pokemon." And like, by the way, I knew it was going to go there. I knew Pokemon oh, Go was no. going to have to come up in this. But that's what was happening at the tournament site. People were like going between rounds, like Zach and Haley and and Brett, like some of the guys. They just go for walks and catch Pokemon between round and just like chill right because it's more like friendship than a team it's not yeah i don't know i'm spewing a bit but yeah. are you it just playing go I, oh yeah i spent much of my day my brother and i walked around uh, west edmonton mall because there's like so many pokemon stops in west edmonton mall and we we met a bunch of strangers that were playing and actually it's funny these two strangers uh who uh, you know, they don't know us from a hole in the wall. They just saw us playing Pokemon Go, and we got talking with them, and they were telling us some of the best spots in Edmonton. And one of them looks at us. He's like 30 or whatever. Um, and he's like, have you ever heard of Warp 2 in Edmonton? And that's funny because Warp 2 is the local game store that Jeremy plays out of that hosted the WMCQ. They're like, you know, king shit in town. And he's like, have you guys ever heard about Warp 2? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Warp 2 is a level 10 Pokemon gym. It's insane. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, yeah, it's all the magic nerds who are just like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> leveling up the Pokemon. Like, I've rarely ever seen a Warp staff meeting. Like, I used to work there, and I you, you hang around there enough. Like, you never see them sit down and have a meeting. But they quite literally sat down to have a meeting to decide what the store's Pokemon Go strategy was going to be. <laughs> Like, who should be the gym leader? What type of uh, gym should they be? How do they want to handle this? Do they want to offer, like, prizes for people playing in the store? Do they want to do things, like, to encourage people to come and do Pokemon Go at the store? Like, they were getting, like, they were getting deep into what the Pokemon Go strategy was going to be for the store. So, I don't know anything about Pokemon Go, but it sounds like, I guess, they've got themselves already kind of figured out here pretty good, so. It is so fun, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I don't know how to do to make my... Oh, uh, Jeremy, I'll help you. It's really easy. But um, I was watching this guy play on the internet. I was literally watching a streamer walk around the real world playing Pokemon Go. And That's crazy. He found this stop that it was lured, which means, like, extra Pokemon get show up there. And he sat down, and he was, like, catching a bunch of them. And this lady sat down next to them and started talking with them. And she said the owner of the store actually bought all of the poke lures to keep it lured 24 hours a day and it's this chinese food restaurant and people are just congregating there playing and then going in and buying food buying drinks and then sitting on the patio playing pokemon yeah Go. like it is crazy lucrative. i've seen i've read a couple of business articles about the value of the expected value of a business that is also a pokestop that sets up lures it just guarantees so much foot traffic that it's it's nuts. There's also a Reddit post on the Magic TCG uh, from 10 hours ago that's front page that says, PSA, don't try to catch Pokemon during your pre-release matches. 
and it says, I know it's a casual tournament, and I know someone used a lure to the local gaming stop, and Pokemon are popping up left and right, but please wait until your match is over to stop, start catching them. Oh, so, cool. I still love Jared Gashadi's little MTG post or Facebook post. Um, he was driving down the street, and they oh, yeah. saw one on the side of the road, so he pulled his work van off the road to go and catch it, and some Cadillac behind him went to follow him off the road and got rear-ended. What? <laughs> yeah, that happened today. Jeez. Huh. Yeah. There was also some guys that got mugged because someone lured a Pokestop that was like an abandoned like parking lots, and they were sitting in a van with like guns and stuff. Yeah, that happened actually in O'Fallon, Missouri, which is uh, pretty close to where I, I not it was in the same city, so say it was in St. Louis, Missouri, basically. Yeah. So my friend was robbed at gunpoint playing Pokemon Go. Really? Yeah. He, I mean, he mentioned that it was it, it was not like his own fault because he didn't obviously mug himself. But he mentioned that he just wasn't paying attention to his surroundings. And had he been, it would have not happened. Yeah, Pokemon Go, man, it's it's everywhere. It's crazy. The app has more people playing than uh, people use the Tinder app currently. Yeah. Uh, I think they said Twitter, actually, right now. Well, they yeah. said it's on pace. It'll be yeah. one or two more days, I read, before it passes Twitter, but it should. That is absolutely insane. Yeah. Osu, are you, are you, t- are you Pokemon Going? I am Sorry. an old man, and I Are do not tindering? enjoy fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm all about the uh, <laughs> hashtag swipe left casting of the uh, the human pockets pocket monsters as opposed to the digital ones. <laughs> I actually changed my Tinder profile that said I'll go on a Pokemon Go Tinder ex- uh, experience with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I uh, I spend probably far too much time grinding magic online because I am a nerd in a different way from everybody else. Oh, that's but, lame. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So far, in the last two days, I've walked at least 15, 20 kilometers. But, just yeah, for that's game. all I... I hear that all the time. Like, one of our friends uh, from Calgary... Cody Crosman, he was telling us, you know, he just went on a three-hour walk the other day because he was playing Pokemon Go, yeah. and he's doing a thing where he he's losing weight, he's watching his 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 food intake, and he he he's lost a bunch of weight, and this can only help him in that, right? It's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I've been running a Fitbit for about a month now because I actually had to leave my job. I had uh, I got told by the doctor I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and I have too much stress in my life and things like. That. Like that so i had to lose some weight and change my diet and I, i've been dealing with that but uh i have my fitbit and i haven't hit my step goal more more than like 50 percent of days um in the past month maybe actually it's like 40 percent of days i hit my step goal but every single day i've hit my step goal when pokemon going <laughs> yeah just i i hit it like by 3 p.m today i just was like Easy money. I don't even have to go for a walk when I get home. Yeah, this is my first work day with it, and I went over lunch with one of my coworkers, and then just after work, I went for like forty-five minutes, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty funny because my wife went out for a walk with the dog the other day, uh, the ninth. So when would that have been? Saturday night. Yeah. So Saturday night, she goes out for a walk after I get home from the tournament, 
And she comes back and she's like, okay, what is Pokemon Go? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, because she was walking around the neighborhood and I guess she ran into a few different groups who were playing uh, Pokemon Go. So she's like, what is this? Why are they doing? Because like she saw that they were all walking around and everything like that. So she's interested. I just know that it's not out, but it is out. Is it worth getting? Because apparently, if you get it, does it like reset when they actually put it out? Or no, it's, does anyone it's know? Free. It's released. It's released in the USA. It's yeah, not it's not Canada. Canada. Oh, okay. So we have to trick our iTunes store into. See, I've already got a US account for tricking for other things, so maybe I can trick it the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me like less than two minutes to install. Yeah, because I've already got like a US account for Hulu, so. I guess I just do the same thing. Do I can I switch back to my Canadian account once I have it? Yeah, you just install it from the US account and then switch out of that account. Okay. Cool. Uh, Actually, as soon as we're done, which we'll probably be wrapping up right away, but uh, I'm I'm honestly going to go downtown for walks. I heard downtown is like awesome for Pokémon. Yeah, the yeah, I'm about ready to Okay, so some Pokémon some strategy that I got. I don't know if you guys read Jerry T's little post. But, yep, I did. Okay, yeah. Um, so my plan is to set a bunch of incubators, because I have a bunch of 5K and 2K eggs, and basically set the 5Ks to all start at the same time, and then walk, and then set the 2Ks, and then walk and catch, and then when I'm really close, I'm going to break a lucky egg, uh, evolve a whole bunch of stuff, and then uh, crack all, like, uh, crack all those eggs and uh, evolve some stuff into some things that I don't have so that I get that experience as well. And then downtown, uh, they've been, there are three, there are a bunch of Pokestops located right next to each other and frequently they're lured. So I'm hoping that I basically jet a whole level or two. Uh, today. Yeah, that is the optimal strategy. And for those of you who didn't understand that, that's, that's me. That's me. Like, I was that's... about to say, like, Doug, does oh that make God. any sense? Did he say anything say, that makes sense? Because maybe I'll listen to this. What, that is what all of your friends think about when you talk about magic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because that made no sense whatsoever. So I'm like, well, maybe when I get this, I can just re-listen to this part and do things that might make sense at that point. Oh, it makes sense. And it's exactly what I plan on doing. But I'm I'm not a high enough level to to do all that stuff yet. Jeremy, can we talk about some real shit or something? Like, can we talk about like the housing market or some stocks, maybe, <laughs> like to balance out? I don't know. Are you ta- Are you sure you want to talk to Jeremy about that? Because no, I, this, you guys have driven me to this. It's overcome my hatred of Jeremy. You don't have hatred of me. Well, I mean, I've yeah. You're right. You're right. It's more like a general disdain sort of thing. You know. I can live with that. I can handle that. I can work from that level. I just want, Bisu, I just want you to get the money from Jeremy that he took from you. Eventually. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm going to extract it. If I ever get coverage, because in November at the, the World Magic Cup, if I, if I get a chance for any sort of coverage or any sort of statement, I'll make it about Jeremy somehow. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna make you a celebrity for. I really hope that happens. Did you tell the world, Bosu, that you won that match? Which one? The one that Jeremy leaked the information. 
Uh, did I win that match? I don't think yeah, I did. You, you, you did. did win that you match. did. Wow, well, that's besides the point. <laughs> I on. mean, so it actually cost you nothing. It cost me a lot of personal pain. <laughs> when the thing is, like, I could physically feel when the what little respect I had for Jeremy up to that point was ripped out of my body by his behavior. It just left me and skyrocketed off into the atmosphere and escaped into space. So, do you know your first My, my day that I tested to be a judge was a gate crash pre-release. And I think I had about five or six calls from a certain player on the cast <laughs> that were designed to really make me judge whether or not I wanted to be a judge, I feel. <laughs> uh, your first mistake, Bosu, was... Having respect for Jeremy in the first place. Oh. Wow, from you? Probably right, that. Probably <laughs> right. I should just start where everybody else starts and not have any respect for Jeremy, ever. And then <laughs> make him earn it. Yeah. I can live with that. Every On time that... I love it, hurt. Yeah. So, well, uh... Go ahead, Jeremy. Are people pre-releasing? Is anyone pre-released still? Oh, that's an excellent transition, Jeremy. I don't. Yeah, that's, 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 we still have time. Being trashed, and <laughs> I think we still have some time. I don't know. I have the jet because I my my apartment is overtaken by family. And okay, okay. so the I have to jet is going to be uh, going to be pushed back by about ten minutes because we need to get some scumbag stories. Okay. Okay. So, do you have a scumbag story that isn't me? I think you should just retell the Jeremy story, like in like no, no, really no. prose it up, make it real dramatic. I, I think I'm sure I have some scumbag stories. I'm sure I have. Some. You gotta have something good. Um, most of my scumbag stories are about myself, though. Do you want to tell a Costa Rica story? Have, have you told the Costa Rica story? I can't remember yeah. if the cast really elaborated into okay. the whole uh, the Brian Sue story. Has that happened, Jeremy? No, it has not happened. You just uh, kind of alluded to it. All right, I'll tell. I'll tell the story. I, I mean, I would like to tell the story, but yeah, but your perspective is biased. All right, fine, Doug. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so we're in Costa Rica, and uh, on the first on the first day of competition, Bosu thinks. For whatever reason, and he can tell you his reason, that's not relevant to the story. For whatever reason, he thinks that it would be a great idea to ask Reed Duke if he would take a picture with Brian, which is actually very common. Uh, pros would actually have lineups of people taking pictures with them. Um, like Finkel had like 11 people in a line once, just people taking pictures with him, a lot of Costa Rican locals. Uh, so he asks Reed, will you take a picture with me um, where you, Reed, are sitting in my lap? And Reed kind of looks at him like, are you insane? Like, a picture sitting in your lap? And Reed's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And Brian's like, okay, okay. And uh, he walks away. And so I play Reed later, and I, I explain to him that Brian and I were just curious more on what he would actually say, like yes or no, not if he would actually do it. And, and the real reason is because Brian has a friend who wanted him to do this. Right, right Brian? That's the real reason? Yes, yes. I th I thought it would, like there's a friend of ours who is basically enamored of Reed Duke, and it would have really made her day if she saw a picture of Reed Duke sitting in my lap. 
basically. Yeah, so we think this is funny and, and whatever. So day two rolls around, and this is where it gets great. Basically, Hayne comes by, and Brian asks, Hayne, will you take a picture sitting in my lab? Which Hayne, of course, replies, of course I would. Because Hayne's just that kind of guy. So then it kind of snowballs into this, wait a second, let's ask all of the pros, will they take a picture sitting in my lap? <laughs> so we're kind of sitting around and different people are coming by and their reactions are just hilarious. Like when Seth Manfield walked up, Shahar had just been asked, will you sit in my lap? And he's like said no to Brian, but he's kind of contemplating it. And Shahar says to, to Seth. No, it was Pascal who was contemplating. It was Pascal. Sorry. Okay, well, but Shahar... You were having a witty exchange with him where he hadn't yeah. said no quite yet. Yeah. So that's why I said he was contemplating it. But uh, when Seth walks up, Shahar's like, hey, will you take a picture sitting in this guy's lap? And I swear to God, Seth just like shakes his head and then runs away. Like he just <laughs> turns in the opposite direction and like speed walks out of there like nobody's business. And he was just like so perturbed. And, and Brian went up to Ben Rubin and asked him, will he sit in his lap? And it was just really funny. Yeah. Um, Brian was really sick at this point, and most of it was caused by the delirium. But I can't wait to hear the stories from the World Magic Cup when they see this random guy who is asking to sit in their lap on the Canadian World Magic Cup staring them down. So much mental damage, man. So much mental damage. Uh, one part you missed, Doug, was uh, like a couple rounds later, because we had asked Pascal Maynard as well. A couple rounds later, I'm sitting next to Pascal because uh, we're we're playing a match right next to each other. Pascal looks over at me. I look at him. I extend my leg to the side. <laughs> I, just kinda, I look him in the eye and I slap my thigh and like giving 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 him an inviting smile. He just cracks up laughing. <laughs> so there's a chance Pascal's also on the the Canadian Magic Cup team and it's going to be awesome if that's the case we'll get some sick pictures going there's got to be a Team Canada picture with him sitting in your lap I am pretty sure Jacob Wilson would not be up for that but (laughs) maybe I'm completely wrong who knows he can take the photo (laughs) if you bring him like a a Tybalt or something or a Hidasku's last right you might be able to maybe maybe so there's some more seat to be earned right and that's Toronto Uh, yes Technically, two seats. We don't have a captain yet. Um, Hayne is leading the race, but it's not until after Sydney. Okay. Uh, and there are certainly are people who could, who can overtake uh, Hayne as far as it comes to uh, to the seat. Hayne is currently sitting with 53 pro points, mm-hmm. uh, so he has a pretty steady lead. But Pascal is already up to 48. So, so that's only five points behind. Uh, right now, and Paul Dean is sitting at 42. Uh, so that's isn't not... Jacob close also? Jacob's already on the team. Already. Yeah, yeah but, but isn't it if Jacob yes, gets the lead yeah, so... that goes to the runner-up of his tournament? Right, so Jacob's not currently close at all. Oh, no? Okay. But, no, not at all. But if Jacob was to win, yes, it would actually not pass down in pro points. It would pass down to second place uh, in that tournament. Um, there are a few other notables who, if they won the entire tournament and Hayne had like a a non-starter, just like a three-pointer, they could maybe take it. Guys like Dan Lanthier, John Stern, Sammy T. Um, these are guys that with first place would get higher than 56 points, which is what Hayne uh, 
pain is going to be just by showing up to Sydney. Actually, he doesn't even need to show up to Sydney. They're giving every person who's qualified three points, even if they defer to Hawaii or don't show up because of the visa troubles. Yeah, and I've deferred to Hawaii. I'm not actually going to Sydney. I'm going to just go to Hawaii instead. Rough life. I know, right? Did you, uh, are you going to get your uh, Snapcasters? Yeah, so I guess that's a scumbag story. <laughs> I'm the scumbag who's just getting all the Snapcasters. It's not really a scumbag story, but I won a PP2Q for Sydney, and I then top forward Toronto, so I was not allowed to play in the RP2Q for Sydney. Um, then I decided to. Uh, play a PP2Q for Hawaii, which I won. And so I have an RP2Q coming up for Hawaii soon. But I deferred my Sydney invite to Hawaii, meaning I'm now not going to be allowed to play in the RP2Q for Hawaii. So that's two RP2Qs I missed. So I sent an email to Premier Play, basically explaining the situation, and they got back to me saying, yep, we'll give you two Snapcaster mages when you show up to Hawaii. <laughs> so... <laughs> so you get, your, you get your three points, your Hawaii invite, and two Snapcasters. Yes, sir. <laughs> Seems pretty good. Yeah, that's how you run good, folks. You that's how good. you run good. The, the only kind of, it's not a scumbag story, but it was one of the funniest things that happened in the tournament for me. It's just, it, it really, to me, kind of just showed the common Magic player and how they tell stories to their friends and how those stories just are never true. Like, they exaggerate the bad beats and and things like that. Uh, what happened was there were three players who were 6-0 and going into round 7. And two of them would get to play against each other and uh, get to draw into top 8. The other one would get paired down against the 5-1, right? So the pairings go up and Dean is paired against the Jun player and I'm paired down. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So I win the die roll. I look at my hands and it, it's like uh, birds, land, temple... A reality smasher, like a brush land, a path, and like a drowner. So I'm like, okay, whatever, this sounds fine. So I keep it. My opponent thinks for a little bit and keeps it. So we're sitting there waiting, and then they say the round's going to be repaired. I'm like, okay, fine. The round will be repaired. So I look at my top card, and it's Thoughtnots here. So I'm like, oh yeah, I was going to have a turn to Thoughtnots here. Awesome. Um, just, you know, par for the course. So I go, and the repair happens, and I'm against Dean now. So Dean and I sit down, and we're going to draw, and Dean says to me, uh, so you were against Tron in that last round. I'm like, oh, okay, well, Tron's not that great a matchup. And Dean's like, yeah, the guy kept a really, really bad hand. It was like one Tron piece, no map, no Sylvan scrying, and just like random artifacts like Oblivion Stone and like a couple like stars or whatever. His hand was just like garbage, supposedly. I'm like, oh, well, I would have probably smashed him. So we're sitting there, we're sitting there, and then that guy sits down like two to my right, and he sits next to his buddy, and they're both playing for top eight. He looks at his buddy, and if he doesn't know I'm around, and he literally looks at his buddy and says, man, the worst part of the repair is I had the nut hand. I've turned three. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I burst out laughing, and I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm like, you, that's not true. Like, yeah. I don't say anything, but I'm like, you, you kept a garbage hand, and I had a turn to thought not. Like, the repair was very good news for you, but it was just kind of funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Dean actually was in the exact same position in Red Deer. He was 6-0, and there were three undefeated players. He paired against Cody Crosman instead of getting paired down, and then they repaired, and Cody Crosman got the pair down. So four times 
he's been paired at 6-0, and he's managed to dodge the 33-percenter. So Dean's, Dean's good, at, uh, good at not getting paired down. Yeah. So I just got a Pokemon Go text that says, my friend said that when I left the park, there was like 60 people still there. It, it's 10-10 here. 10, 10 p.m. here. Uh, he blasted the Game Boy Encounter music, and people actually cheered. <laughs> yeah. But on that note... Hey, go and chill, man. I have right. to go. All right. But thank you this guys for fun. being on. So okay. I apologize yeah, in this is, for yeah. anything we allowed Doug to say. Yeah. And that we what do you guys do? Out. Do you guys do like uh, sign offs and stuff or what? No, but if you have a shout out, fire off some shout outs. We got a tiller covered. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out to I guess shout out to all the guys in the Pro Path crew. So I'm I'm not gonna name all of them, but all we have a whole bunch of the top local players, and it's just a good team in terms of you know getting everybody together, discussing decks and strategy, and just getting better together. Um, shout out to the local stores for really putting a lot of work into supporting the scene. So Warp, Variant Edition, Red Claw, Adventures Guild. Am I missing anybody? Century Box. Century Box. Tax Tap for Effects. Um, all those good guys, man. Everybody in the community gets the shout out here in Edmonton and in Alberta in general. Shout out to Face to Face. Face to Face. Doug, I have no I guess. shout-outs. You have no shout-outs? I got everybody covered. The cool uncle doesn't give shout-outs. Yeah, shout-outs to turn two Thought Not Seer. <laughs> Actually, yeah, Thought Not Seer is the real MVP. Yeah. <laughs> and shout-out to Matt Mendoza for uh, getting Eye of Ugin banned so I could actually win the tournament. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Had they banned the temple, I would not have won a match. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you are yes. welcome. <laughs> Thanks everybody so, for listening. All right, but thank you guys for having me so much. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks no, for being on. It's great to have you on. So uh, thanks for listening. Next week we'll probably talk about pre-release things. I might do one of those. I don't know, uh, but I'm uh, sure it'll be a lot of fun. We'll probably have everyone back. So sweet. I love you all. Bye.